Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Alice. Hey, Reza- now. Greg, what are you doing here? Hey, what do you mean? What I- Allison, where did you, you come from, Greg? I came from the world of childish, and I just want to make sure that your listeners know that you're just as wonderful on the, on the other podcast you do. What if they don't have kids? Don't need them. You don't need them. A lot of our listeners actually tell us they don't have kids. We talk about sex. We talk about all sorts of dirty stuff, but also parenting stuff. Yeah, so. Check out Childish, new episodes every Wednesday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. This is the first Monday episode recorded in 2021. I'm very excited to welcome my guest. He is an old school YouTuber, very, very popular and successful from the early days of the platform. Excuse me. He hosted uh, a pop culture and celebrity entertainment show, very funny show called What the Buck. And he went on to appear as a correspondent and a host on television. And now he's left that whole world behind him. And he's in Denver and he's a life coach and evidently much, much happier. I need to dig into all of this. Please welcome to the show, Michael Buckley. Hello. Well, hello. It's so nice to see you. I feel like this is such a lovely reconnection, reunion, first time podcast. I just, I'm so happy. I feel like we've been friends yet not friends for years, and I'm just so happy to connect with you. Same. And we should be, full disclosure, like so many connections that are happening in this pandemic, virtual connections, this one was beset with technological difficulties. It almost seemed like it wasn't going to happen. So I are, I feel already like we have overcome something and now we're Uh, we're trauma bonded totally trauma bonded and it's like this is already more fun because it was a journey to get here we had a zoom issue we had a connectivity issue i didn't know how to use my microphone because like i told you i'm a hundred years old and then i figured out my microphone and you're like yeah i still don't think you did it right so then we figured (laughs) out my earphones and so (laughs) it was four or five steps and a chicken salad sandwich later and here we are here we are ready to make the best episode ever of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. Here we go. I mean, I like to, I like to claim they're all the best, but I know that you're very into positive psychology. I'm very into positive psychology. (laughs) I am wondering, and I'm very into psychology, but what specifically is positive psychology? So positive psychology, it's interesting because I remember I was a psych major in college and I remember studying, you know, disorders and pathological things and realizing by sophomore year that I wasn't that interested in traditional psychology. Mm. I didn't want to diagnose people. I didn't want to go Freud and down a rabbit hole of why are you like this and what's Mm. going on with your mother and Again, I think, you know, uh, uh, traditional psychology tends to be what's wrong with you. I think positive psychology is more what's 
that's right with you. Mm. So, I mean, I don't want to ignore that there is lots of pathological things in the world. And I do think of positive psychology as a slightly different field. And I just, I love it so much. I think it's just so interesting and so fun and so life affirming. And so, yeah, like it's just, it feels like a different category, but for someone like me, it's just a much more uh, fulfilling and interesting category to study and be involved in. So is is it a school of psychology? Like, are there therapists who are practicing positive psychology or is it more in the sort of self-help zone? I mean, I'm sure there are therapists and people who are licensed practitioners who are d- using the tools of positive psychology. Like there's plenty of PhD level psychologists who are totally in the world and that's what their mm-hmm. research is and that's what their clients is. So totally. So right. And I don't think, I, like, I think they, they coexist and I think they can be beautifully complementary to each other. So, I mean, my coaching credentials are certainly not medical credentials. I mean, life coaching is a totally goofy field. Like you could literally <laughs> go on Twitter right now and say, I'm a life coach. And like, it's a joke on a sitcom. If you ever watch on um, the Connors, like Aunt Jackie, Lori Metcalf is like, I'm a life coach. Mm-hmm. And the whole audience laughs. Or if you watch mom, Allison Janney, I'll be like, I'm her life coach. And the studio audience bursts into right. a, <laughs> laughing. Right. So I understand it's a very goofy, non-regulated field, but I, I think it's also very powerful. And I think in 2021, I think we all benefit from coaching. Like coaching is an interesting field. Like, I mean, it is kind of consulting, consulting your brain. It is kind of exercise and fitness. It's working out your mind. So again, the, the way you talk about it, like when I started coaching, I remember even my father saying to me, why don't you tell people you're consulting? I'm like, <laughs> right, because you you think it sounds so goofy that I tell people that I'm a life coach. And so I'm willing to have people go, that sounds dumb knowing that I'm the product of life coaching and I also do very powerful work with people. Mm-hmm. So yeah. As I knock my technology out, I'm like, earbuds, what's an earbud? I haven't had these in, in years. I'm like, ooh, earbuds, what's happening? <laughs> See, I can't laugh. Oh I'm God. so bad at this. I, so if you're just listening to this, please know that I just literally knocked my earbuds out of my ear, not once, but twice. <laughs> that was amazing, though. That Thank was, is you. it, who's like the most, who's a real, f- you pop culture expert should be able to nail this one. Who's like the most famous clumsy guy? Mr. Bean is clumsy, right? Oh my God. I love Mr. Bean. I'll tell you a funny Mr. Bean story. Okay. So once I was figure skating, cause I used to figure skate. I forgot and there was about a, that. I was a figure skater and I did lots of commentary and stuff. And um, this taught me a life lesson about never to to tell somebody who they look like. Because yeah. again, if I said, you, so I was skating around and I I told somebody who they look like and, and they said, oh, Joe Jonas. <laughs> and I was like, no, you look like Mr. Bean. <laughs> so now it's like, I never, so I remember seeing this boy and thinking like, does he know he looks like Mr. Bean? And so I did, like he was, my, I was like, so who do you get told you look like? And he said, Joe Jonas. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> so again, he still has no idea that right. I think he looks like Mr. Bean. That, um, yeah. Yes, that is such a life lesson. I think yeah. unless it's like Brad Pitt or Angelina Jolie or something. Right. You look like Brad Pitt. No, you look like I get I get Sean Penn. Now that I have a mustache, I get Edward Norton. When I was 19 years old and bald, I got William Hurt. And I was like, I'm 19 years old. I look like a 40-year-old man. So I've never necessarily, you know, gotten like, oh, you look like this guy. I'm like, do I? Do I? <laughs> Thank you, question mark. <laughs> so 
have we ever actually met? I know I used to do Red Eye, and I know that you were on Red Eye. I and used I don't, to do Red Eye, 2007, 2008. Yeah. Uh, it was such a goofy experience. I feel like I blocked it out because <laughs> I feel like as I tweet now about Fox News and certain people, I was like, oh, I sat there with them. Like, I know these people. I know. I've I blocked have- it out. I've blocked it out. I was there. And I also don't even think I realized that it was Fox News because I was. it was the first place. So they found me on YouTube. They sent me emails. They sent me car service to Connecticut, which is like two hours away. Mm-hmm. I would show up. I would talk about things. And then maybe a year later, people would be like, oh, why are you going on Fox News? I'm like, I don't know. They're sending me a car. <laughs> you know? So. Yeah. I did pilots for them. I remember they did that lips and ears with Courtney Freel and I would talk about gossip or I don't even, I just, I I, I don't remember. I also, fun fact about me, I took a lot of Ambien from 2003 until 2012. So I definitely, some things are foggy, Mm -hmm. but I really don't, I've seen clips. I know I've got clips. I very not much remember. I, we probably were on once together, Maybe. bantering about something, but yeah. I don't remember. <laughs> I know. I have a similar thing with, with Fox because I am outspoken, you know, now. And, but I was also, I've always been not, I've always, I've, I was going to say I've always been liberal. However, my husband, who is like incredibly progressive, has told me that liberal to people who are really progressive, the term liberal doesn't mean what we think it means. Do you Have you heard this too? I, I have. And that's why it's so weird too how in 2021, I feel like I'm reexamining all the language of how yes. we identify. Like even in Christian, I'm a Christian. And recently on Facebook, I updated it to put I'm a progressive Christian because I want you to know right. I'm, not, I, I'm not, I'm a progressive Christian. There's a difference. And like what you're saying like, right, like, oh, I'm a liberal. Those are different people than the people who support the progressive causes. So, right, right. I understand the, the language of it all. Yeah, <laughs> right. So I've always yeah. not been a Fox person. Even back back then, I wasn't either. Um, but I've become, I feel like it's more uh, problematic to say that you've appeared on Fox now. And I did, like, a ton of shows because they, yeah. they were really nice. Everyone I dealt with there was really nice. They wanted to put me on tv they sent a car yeah they did fun makeup what's not to love yeah i had a great experience i liked i loved my producer i loved the co-host like i think of the guy who's on the five now greg whatever his name is who hosted red eye he was lovely to me he laughed at everything i said we had a lovely time i had a great experience right um it is interesting to see the movie like bombshell or hear about all the sexual abuse allegations because right it's like oh i'm sure i was walking around the hall and there was gossip and innuendo and uh, very much a loud behavior where now if i really did think about it and i mean all of us who went to work in the 1990s or the early 2000s you worked in an atmosphere where you probably heard plenty of sexual harassment and it didn't even occur to you to complain about it because this is just who we are and this is how we talk to women i was watching a a chart this sounds so silly but i I, again I watch everything with a different lens now. And so I love watching old TV shows and being like, oh God, like the way men talk to women mm-hmm. and the audience is laughing. And I was recently, uh, sorry to go off track, but I oh, think about okay. this stuff all the time. I was watching an episode of Charlie's Angels and like what, there was a nurse and she had, uh, there was an attempted rape and the mm-hmm. angels sat down to talk to her and they, and Kelly Garrett, Jacqueline Smith looked at her and said, 
why do you think he was uh, targeting you? And she looked at her and said, oh, well, I don't know. Maybe it's true what they say. Blondes have more fun. Like she made a... <laughs> Oh my God. She made a joke about an attempted rape, and Kelly Garrett, Jacqueline Smith just said, mm-hmm, and walked away from her. Like there was no, again, a woman getting attempted rape wasn't that big a deal. A man being disgusting to his secretary was movies and laughter. And of course, that's so now it's interesting how now it's like, no, this is not who we are anymore. And we right. are, but we don't wish to be this. So, right. yeah. Right. So that was, again, didn't mean to derail, but when oh, you no. said Fox, I was like, right. It's like, there is a reckoning now and there is an awareness now where I'm not going to sit there and I my ambitions are not so great that I need to go in this man's office and drop my pants, you know? <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, it's interesting. I've been thinking about cancel culture lately. And yeah. generally when people gripe about cancel culture, I don't agree with them. I feel like, but it's consequences. And, but the people that you're talking about, I feel like they probably did horrible things. And then recently, someone that I've had on my show who I know to be a decent, I don't, I, I honestly, I don't know him that well, but I believe he's a decent, actually, you might be aware of it. It's Bean Dad. Did you follow the yeah, Bean I, Dad I, saga? I saw all those things the other day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so it's this, this guy, John Roderick. Um, who is in this band, The Long Winters, and hosts a number of, or co-hosts a number of podcasts, including one with Ken Jennings um, of Jeopardy, who is potentially being held up to be like one of the, to be the next host. Uh, and he also ran, speaking of progressive, like on a very progressive ticket, ran for office in Seattle. And he did this very long, wordy uh, series of tweets about how his nine-year-old daughter came to him Um, and she was hungry and he's like, you know, just put some baked beans in a pot and she didn't know how to open the can of beans. And so he wanted her to figure out how to use the can opener. And it was, I did not, it was like too long and it was a little bit like, it was (laughs) indulgent for sure. But all these people responded saying that the way he treated her, not helping her, making her go hungry was abusive. And he got like, I mean, a mob essentially came – by the way, this is not even like the real news of the day. Trump, right, right. As it's, we record this, Trump ah, just got kicked off Twitter. The okay. coup happened. But back in a simpler time of, you know, one and a half days ago, this was all going down. Um, he has been put on indefinite suspension from his podcast network. Uh, people are like, people then found tweets of his from 10 years ago that were problematic, but he says they were written in a sarcastic tone, which I believe because given what his politics are, I don't believe he actually would be using, uh, you know, I don't, I don't believe him to be anti-Semitic. I don't believe him to be racist. There are people who would say it's not mine to say, maybe, maybe not, but still, but anyway, his life is fucking ruined over this tweet thread and that made me go, okay, now we've gone too far. And then it's like, is, is the, you know, if you have a problem with cancel culture, is it just that now they've come after someone that you agree with? I don't know. Maybe, maybe mob mentality is problematic all over the place. I feel like, right, it's like, what's the consequence? What's the behavior? And if the behavior and the consequence line up, it seems to make sense. And then, right, and then your brain starts going, but, 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 and we can make exceptions. Full disclosure, I have, I've gone through all my tweets, believe me. And if I've looked for certain keywords, I made terrible jokes. 
I went, I made, ter- I'm never going to be, I don't think I'm going to be very famous or in the public eye again, but someone could go digging on me and someone could find something terrible and disgusting I've said. And I've apologized and I made a video probably in 2015 or talking about how I've grown and evolved into a different version of me. That doesn't mean in 2007 when I started YouTube and you know, my inspirations were really over the top and always in my brain. I'm not excusing myself. I knew exactly what I was doing, but I was saying nonsensical things on purpose. Like I cast myself in this role of this flaming homosexual who was ranting. And then in my brain, I was like, but I'm making black jokes, gay jokes, lesbian jokes, thin people jokes, fat people jokes, whatever jokes. So right, I know better, I do better now. Um, but And that's it, I'm a lovely person. And so if somebody wanted to ruin my life, you know, I always say I canceled myself before anybody could cancel me. But like my YouTube, channels on private. I probably have five videos. I, I, I said, I wrote a blog post about it. Cause I said, I'm not on YouTube anymore. And it feels like I moved out of my house and I've left it unattended for people to wander through. So I don't need people again. I'm not embarrassed about things I said, but that's not who I am in 2021. Mm -hmm. So I'd rather make a first impression differently with you. So again, I'm not embarrassed. I'm not ashamed. I'm not even really apologetic, but I am, again, I know I was funny. I was hilarious. I was making jokes that seemed appropriate at the time that now they just don't seem appropriate, you know? So that's okay, you know? (laughs) Well, so let's get into your, um, how... your your story as a a content creator and then your decision to leave remind me where you grew up so i grew up in central connecticut about halfway between hartford and new haven and you know i always wanted to be an actor i i was never a very good actor and i thought i could probably be a tv presenter i'm pretty charismatic i'm pretty funny like i feel like when i would watch tv hosts i'm like or talk show hosts i'm like that's what i should be doing mm-hmm. and so in 2005 i made the decision that i was going to figure out a way to be successful as a talk show host so i'd go to new york and i'd go to those silly things that you pay money and you listen to people who are like the third level tier producer and they give you dumb advice And now I'd sit there and I'd be like, what? I can't believe I paid $200 to sit here. And that was the time when like, uh, you have to get things on tape. So I would make VHS tapes of me doing footage and reading Mm -hmm. whatever. And, um, and I did, I started a public access show in my hometown of Wallingford, Connecticut, just as a excuse and a way to get some footage of me in front of a green screen, being telegenic and charismatic and delivering material. And I really just fell in love with it. And I remember I started doing it in May of 2005 and I would spend all day Sunday, 12, 18 hours writing jokes, writing scripts. I took it so seriously. I was so into it. It was like escape from my, I had an office job and I had a husband and I just, I loved having this just for me. Mm -hmm. Like it was so fun. And so like I started doing that. And then in 2006, my cousin who worked at the the little public access thing as my volunteer helper um, started putting clips on YouTube. And, you know, eventually someone like watched one of them and it was 200,000 views. And that's when my brain was like, oh, this is something. Mm -hmm. So maybe I don't even need to be on TV. I know about 300,000 people are watching on Fox. If I can get 200,000 views like this, maybe I will just be on the internet. And so beginning in January of 2007, I started started posting five days a week. I formatted as the What the Buck show. I always I really was one of the first people having a show on the internet.
internet. I think there was Rocket Boom. I think there was like one on Lonely Girl was a series, mm-hmm. but I was definitely one of the first, if not the first, like talking head delivering, you know, a hot take on screen. And I did that. And then I got in the YouTube partnership program and I became very successful quickly. And I started making money like the second year. And so by 2008, I had an HBO development deal. I was working with Sony. They were paying me lots of money to promote things. I was so funny too. I would reach out to people and say, I have a lot of subscribers. Nobody knew anything about marketing. Nobody was a YouTube manager. There wasn't a a full screen or a maker studios. There was just me reaching out to Sony Pictures Mm -hmm. and saying, I really like your content. I have a lot of subscribers. Maybe I could mention your things and you could pay me and they would pay me like $3,500 a pop. Like I was a wheeler and a dealer. Like I was just making money and soliciting. Right. And I, I I think back now and I'm like, I'm so impressed with myself. Yeah, and that's I was, really entrepreneurial. I would just reach out to people and I would get brand deals or I would uh, promote other things. So I was so wildly in love with it. But because I was a first generation YouTuber, I really had no frame of reference for where my career was going and what I wanted out of it. And so, uh, you know, when I look back at my YouTube career, I was like 2006, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. I was very successful. Even 2012, I was still like in the top 20. But at that point, I was starting to be like, I got to do this. Is I got to, you know, I also liked it so much better when it wasn't that big, when it was just a small little thing and there weren't that many other creators. And I just loved it for what it was. And then by 2013, it was just like everybody was on YouTube. And I just really, I had lost interest in it. And at that point, I was very disinterested in pop culture. I barely watched any TV. So I had created this online persona of this bitchy gay guy who rambled about topics that I had no connection with. And so by two. 2014, my life just exploded. I left my marriage. I I just, I was drinking heavily. And so I just, could, and I didn't want to do this anymore, but I couldn't fathom that, oh God, do I have to get a job? Like really, like what's it going to tell the world? Like I made sh- lots of money and now I'm going to go get a job. And so, I mean, for years, I just, did, you know, I always tell people, like I used the I, like my last year successfully on YouTube, I probably made three eighty two, three hundred eighty two thousand, good money. Good then money, the next yeah. year, I made eighty two. So yeah. I was making like half a million, and I love talking about money, so I'm just dropping <laughs> numbers. So because then now the top YouTubers make like twenty million dollars, but at the time, I had a couple of years where I'd make five or six hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars, which is a lot of money. Yeah. And then one year, I made three eighty two, and my brain went, "Oh God, you're in trouble." And then the next year, I made eighty two. So I went from three eighty two to eighty two. And then my year was drunk, getting divorced, Mm -hmm. dog dying, and I like made no money. So it was just kind of like, you know, it was time for me to do something else. I always say YouTube was done with me and I was done with YouTube. And so I very happily retired the What the Buck show in 2016. And then I spent the next probably year dabbling in content, still doing some brand deals, but working on becoming a life coach, growing my coaching business and recentering my content more as coaching and personal mm-hmm. development. And so, and then by 2018, I was completely done. In 2019, I tapped in occasionally because I was like, maybe I'll do this as a hobby. I did have a couple more hours in the day. So I don't even think I was monetizing or trying to be YouTube famous. I just thought, 
to see if I could enjoy it as a hobby. Like I don't, I make my living doing something else, but maybe it will be fun to do some content. I did it for like five months and then that was like, no, I'm done. It's almost like being a professional athlete. I was a professional athlete. I played it recreationally briefly after, and then now I'm peacefully, happily, so proud of what I achieved for 10 years, but so grateful and relieved to be on with my life in a different Mm -hmm. direction. Yeah. The 382, Two to 82. Was that because of diminished views or were you making less content? I was making lots of content. So I, so one day in 2012, the algorithm changed. And again, I'm not blaming YouTube. I'm not blaming the algorithm. This is not a victim story, but I used to make 20 or $30,000 a month. And then one month I made like $1,800. And that was the moment I saw. So people always, they, they talk about the adpocalypse or the whatever. I saw the moment I went from making easy, lots of money to no money very quickly. So it was a combination of the YouTube algorithm did change and my earnings did take a hit. Mm-hmm. I also, I did have lots of, uh, you know, a lot of sponsorships that was committed for a year. So like I had lots of like, you do this, we pay you $12,000 a month to do this. You do this, we pay you. Th-. So right. I had plenty of money coming in other places. So that's why it didn't even matter. Like my YouTube views were low. My AdSense was low, but I was still making enough. But again, there was still a disconnect between why am I staying? Is it because I'm Mm. embarrassed that it's gone so terribly? And that was the truth. For a couple years, I felt embarrassed. I was like, really? Because really, I'd go on YouTube, I'd make a video, I'd have a million subscribers, I'd get no views. People would write, what happened to this guy? And so, right, they and it wasn't that upsetting, but it was the truth. It's like, you've got to go do something else. And so, you know, I'm so grateful that I had those years where I was kind of a mess and in confusion and in overwhelm and in, oh, woe is me. And now being on the other side of it, it's like, ah, those were the most important years of my life. Like life is very easy when you're making $600,000 a year and people think you're fun and sexy and going to VidCon and have a line of people waiting for you. And then when you go to, I always say, I love what I know what it's like to be in a hit. I know what it's like to post a video on YouTube and get hundreds of thousands of views right away, 10,000 comments, everybody's engaged. And I know what it's like to post a video and get like 10 comments. And so again, and I know what it's like to go to VidCon and have thousands of people there cheering for you. And I know what it's like when they have a big room and 10 people show up and you're standing there like, yep, this is where I'm at. So I'm so grateful that I know what it's like to be a hit and I know what it's like to be a flop. And that's the thing as a coach, I don't coach happiness. I coach humanness. Like I'm here for the human experience. So I like the good, the bad, the ugly, the gross. So I think about those couple years of drunkenness and messiness. And those were some of the best years of my life as I evolved into this different version of myself. If you had, if the, if the hits had continued, would you still be there? So that's an interesting question. I, I, I don't know how to answer that because I, I don't ever play. Like, what if I was still married? What if right. I still lived in Connecticut? I don't really play those games with myself. I would like to think I would have moved on because I really wasn't satisfied. I mm-hmm. wasn't fulfilled. I wasn't enjoying it. I had many years where I would make a video and then I just couldn't wait to go do something else versus now I coach for eight hours a day and I'm high as a kite. Like I'm, I have so much yeah. dopamine and so much joy and I can't. So versus 
you know what? I, I could be a better YouTuber now. Like I could, I have the mindset for it. I have the personality for it. That's why it's funny. People will see me on Instagram and they're like, you should be on TikTok or you should make it. I'm like, I've done, or people always tell me you should have a podcast. Right. I don't want to do any of this. I have a job. I have a career. My life is ridiculously satisfying and meaningful. And when you said in the opening that I was happier now, I'm not happier now. It's not, happiness is pretty easy for me. It's not even like I was unhappy. I was just, you know, just a little not, it wasn't even happiness. It was just the purpose piece, the meaning piece and the, I don't know. Like it, I, I peaked. Like it's like, like I said, you can only go to the Olympics so many times. I went to the Olympics. Yeah. I won. I don't need to go back to the Olympics. I have right. nothing to prove. And um, yeah, and I, I don't know. So and again, in ten years, we might you might interview me, and who knows? Maybe I'll be a talk show host, or maybe I'll have a podcast. But right now, I'm just too busy enjoying life. Which this is the other thing I did not do when I was a YouTuber. Mm-hmm. I was constantly, I mean, a little bit imposter syndrome, meaning thinking this is dumb. Like, I can't believe they're paying me $15,000 to mention this product. This, I feel like an idiot. Like I, I like, yay, but I feel like an idiot. This was early on. Like I did, again, I didn't even know what I was doing. And then also, so it was either, this is kind of dumb or also this is going to go away. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no way this is sustainable. Like here come all the up and coming people. And I could see the look in their eye. Like they're way more into it than I ever was. Like they're way more interested in YouTube culture and calls Mm -hmm. to action and collab and asking a question to get a comment. And I have, (laughs) I don't, I, I, you know, again, I loved it, but I'm very happy to be doing other Mm -hmm. things with my life. You know, it's really interesting. The idea of, of just drawing a line and being like, I do not make content anymore. I was listening to you on Grace Helbig's show. And when she, you know, she was just like, it seemed to me like there was almost envy and admiration in her and maybe I'm projecting in her voice when she's like you know you did it you left it behind because I think that there are I think everyone who makes content wonders what would it be like even if you're happy you wonder what would it be like if I were a civilian if I if I left this behind you know if and I was I was trying to figure out earlier like what what is it what's the grip I mean aside from you know money I think it's this idea that like there's something that makes you feel special if you're making content and it's like, oh, I'll just be a regular person. Yeah. It's a lot of external validation. It's a lot of, you know, you get emails from producers who want to work with you. You get offers to do a book deal. And I mean, someone like Grace is so ridiculous. If Grace ever hears this, hi, Grace, I love you. Grace is so talented. Grace is the best-selling author. Grace has a great pod. Grace is going to do stand-up. Grace can do a million things Mm -hmm. in her life without making YouTube videos. Like YouTube is such a small piece of Grace's puzzle of her success and her makeup. So, um, but yeah, like I just, I don't, I think it is, it's, it's easy external validation. It does. And also, but here's the thing, like if I had my mindset now, I would have been like, I'm adding value to people's life. People love me. They think I'm funny. Like, so me making a joke about Miley Cyrus is just as hilarious and important as me doing coaching work, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, if I did it now, I would be able to attach more meaning to my comedic persona. Right. Um, I do think it's like anything that feels like I feel the same way when I stopped drinking alcohol. I feel like I got out of a cult. I felt like, oh, my God, I don't have to drink anymore. Thank God. When I got off of YouTube, I did feel this sense of relief of like, oh, I don't have to do I don't have to engage with people anymore in small talk and comment sections. And again, it's lovely, but I don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. And if I, I don't know, like in. 
I don't know. I had something else. I was thinking about the content thing. I do, you know, I do Instagram stories and that is fun. And a couple thousand people watch that, but that's just fun. Like that's, a, so if you did like what the fuck and you are currently still interested in Michael Buckley, you can follow me on Instagram. Hey, Michael Buckley. And I do make stories every day. I say, good morning. I do some advice. I share things about my niece and my dog. And it's, it is fun and it's silly and it's lovely. So that is a fun hobby. And I do think that keeps me feeling like I'm creating content mm-hmm. and I get to be hilarious and I get to be a bit of my on-camera persona without doing it for a living. And that's the other challenging thing I struggle with. And I like to say it this way. It's difficult when your hobby becomes your career mm-hmm. because my ho- like I said, I did this effortlessly and easily for 50 hours a week, not making a dime. I just loved it. And then it became my career and the the stress of, oh, this is it. There, this, this was me escaping from my day job. And then it's like, oh, I guess I'm doing this now. Um, and so that's the thing. And now I know in the work I'm doing, because I thought about this about a year ago, I thought about like, would I do YouTube again? So if you said right now, you make the amount of money you make a year. If you could do this YouTube and make the same amount, would you do it? Absolutely not. So I know that. Like, it's like, no, no, no. If you, it's not. So I know that. Like, I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing and I'm deeply fulfilled by it. So it's not like, oh, if I could make money, I would do it. It's like, no, I don't want to do mm-hmm. it. I really don't. I would do TV appearances. Like, I would. If you, like, I love doing TV. I love being on TV shows where, like you said, you'd show up, they do your makeup, you would go yeah. home. It was nothing. It was easy. Someone produced your segment. You just, showed up and were charismatic being a tv personality is the easiest job in the world (laughs) you just you have nothing to do when i was on live with kelly for a week i just showed up and i was hilarious and they listed topics and i offered an opinion and then we went to commercial and it was simple being a content creator where you're writing and you're filming and you're editing and you're promoting and you're marketing Mm -hmm. and again it is. It's a lot. So again, I, and I never loved any of the, I loved being funny and I loved being uh, comedic and I loved watching myself and thinking I was funny. The <laughs> other stuff, I never liked editing. I never, I never liked any of the other things. So it's like, I'm, I don't want to do it. So <laughs> I don't want, I don't want to do it. How know? did you learn to edit? Cause that's a, that's a hard thing to do. My editing was generally one take because I did. So I, that's why all my videos, if you remember the, what the buck show, I would sit here in front of the screen. I would have a script. I would scroll as I was talking and I would say, what the buck? And I would be done. Mm -hmm. And because I didn't want to edit, there were no cuts, there were no takes. And then I would just go and drag in like pictures in the corner. So it was very easy. Like there was no effects. There was no graphics. It was very low level. I don't, I think I probably watched a YouTube tutorial, how to green screen. And I think somebody probably gave me some tips, but again, my editing was roll credits, me talking end credits. Like mm-hmm. there was never any editing, you know, right. or production value necessarily, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. So were you at one point dependent on external validation in a way that you're not now? No, I don't think that's it. And that's why I think I'm lucky I started at like 30 because I wasn't, I can't imagine if I was 12 or 16 or 18 and I see some of the kids who I know who are 25 now and I see them on Twitter and I'm like, they're struggling. You know, they're thinking, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? I didn't go to college. I might have a million dollars in the bank, which doesn't last very long. And so uh, what am I going to do? Maybe I'll go on Twitch for six hours a day. Maybe I'll hope TikTok monetizes, but they do, they know they have to figure out, maybe 
I'll be a consultant for other brands or something. Like, you know, but they will, most people would get exhausted. Like actors go home. <laughs> YouTube celebrities are YouTube yeah. celebrities. You know, it's like they don't, you, you know, there was no frame of reference for take a month off, take mm -hmm. a summer vacation. You know, there's that constant desire to be relevant and crank out content. And so we're seeing a lot of creators. There's some who have been great from day one. Like Phil DeFranco got it right from day one. He's been able to stay on. He makes a, sh a lot of money. He looks like he's having a good time. He has a family and a wife and a life. And life is good for Phil. Justine, I, Justine, has done a great job from day one keeping her content and doing like So again, there's some examples. Mm -hmm. But a lot of other people who were my generation really have come and gone and you've seen the emotional gymnastics they put themselves through. Hey guys, I'm back. And they look miserable. Or hey guys, I'm, you know, they're, they're they, you know, so I, I hope for all of them that they either find enjoyment and can attach meaning into being a content creator or like me, they can happily tap out. And again, I'm not discouraged. I'm not defeated. I'm not like, oh my God, it didn't work out for me. I'm not a star. My life is so wonderful. So if you're listening to this and you're a content creator, please no, there are many wonderful things you can be doing with your life outside of YouTube or Twitch or whatever you're doing. <laughs> right. Um, I want to find out about your childhood and, and who you were then. But first, I want to tell you guys, Allison Rosen is your new best friend, is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Counseling. The new year can be a good time for a mental health check-in. If you've always wanted to try therapy or you'd like to try it again, or you just need to someone to talk some things out with, BetterHelp offers online licensed professional therapists who are trained to listen and to help with issues including anxiety, depression, difficulty sleeping, LGBT matters, trauma, grief, self-esteem, and more. Finding a therapist can be intimidating and time-consuming. With BetterHelp, you simply fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs and then get matched with your counselor in under 48 hours. Easily schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus exchange unlimited messages with your therapist from the comfort of your own home. Everything you share is confidential. If you're unhappy with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time, no additional charge. You are not committed. I know people, some people are worried about starting up therapy right now uh, and thinking, but what if it's not the right fit? They will get you to the right person. BetterHelp is a convenient and affordable option, and our listeners get 10% off your first month with the discount code BESTFRIEND. Get started today at BetterHelp. That's BetterHelp, betterhelp.com slash bestfriend. There's no shame in asking for help. Um, I also want to tell you guys about FIGS. Healthcare professionals continue to put themselves on the front lines. FIGS is on a mission to celebrate and support their selflessness with scrubs that are precisely engineered to help healthcare workers perform at their best. And right before the pandemic, I visited a friend who was in the hospital and I was noticing that the nurses and doctors who came in the room, their scrubs fit so well and they were so stylish. And I wanted to say, are those figs. And I did not because I don't know if you've noticed when you visit someone in the hospital, anyone who comes into the room, they just care about the patient and they're like, they almost want to throw you out of the room like Grey's Anatomy. So I didn't ask them my question, but I'm pretty sure they were wearing figs because figs makes stylish scrubs. They have so many pockets, you'll be like, there's too many pockets. And here's another thing, though. They're pretty much for healthcare professionals. But maybe you are not a healthcare professional, but you want some scrubs. Daniel has a hoodie made by them. It's got, it's so comfortable. It's got a ton of pockets. I almost bought a lab coat. I don't need one, but I wanted one. Some of their styles include over 10 pockets, which is incredibly useful when you have a stethoscope, pens, a pen light, scissors, tape, alcohol pads. If 
for me, my, my phone. Um, they, their core scrubs stick around 365 days a year, never going out of stock or out of style. Mix and match any of the super popular core scrubs with each other for a quick wardrobe refresh. So if you're one of the awesome humans who work in healthcare, Figs wants you to wear the scrubs you deserve and enjoy 15% off your first order. And and if you're not working on the front lines, thank someone that is with the best scrubs in the world. Figs will give you 15% off too. Use code BESTFRIEND15 at checkout. Again, that's BESTFRIEND15 at checkout. Head to wearfigs, W-E-A-R-F-I-G-S.com and enter code BESTFRIEND15 at checkout. Wearfigs.com, BESTFRIEND15 at checkout. Get ready to love your scrubs. Okay, Michael Buckley, we're back. So yes, what, what was your childhood like? Oh my God. My childhood was fun. Like I was a silly, goofy little kid. Like, I mean, I, I knew I was in the homosexual category by the age of four. Like I just had, I was all into the Dukes of Hazard. I was like, those guys are hot. <laughs> I, I was watching one day at a time, Alice and the Jeffersons. And you know, now when parents are like, Ooh, I don't want my kids on their screens all day. I'm like, I watch TV 24 hours a day. I turned out great. <laughs> so, I mean, my childhood was very fun. I love gymnastics. I love figure skating. I love superheroes in DC comics. I had a lot of just interest. Like I was really, I had a lot of hobbies. <laughs> like, so it, it's, it was interesting. Just, I just had a fun childhood. I have a twin sister and that just made life super fun. We li- I live in the basement now. My twin sister and her husband and three children live upstairs. So I always joke, I knew we'd end up back together. <laughs> but um, yeah, I had a fun childhood. I was a goofy, silly kid. I had a, a lovely mother, a, a nice father, and an older brother, and a, I, just, I, I don't know. Like I had a pretty, and life was pretty simple. Like I, I just remember being a pretty happy kid. Like yeah, childhood was pretty fun. I don't think I was that smart. I think I was never that into school. I was into, uh, you know, getting. T- Sounds so silly. I was into like putting on my first day of school outfit and matching my trapper keeper. But like, it's so funny because people will be like, what's your favorite subject? I'd be like, I don't know. Like they all just blend. Like I just want to go home and watch one day at a time, Alice and the Jeffersons. But so yeah, I don't think I was that into school. I But I, I, I think I loved life early on. I think I was one of those people who like, again, as I am as an adult, like I just, I think I love life. So I mm-hmm. think childhood, I just, I really enjoyed life. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a summary of my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> and what you you had a good relationship with your parents? I was wildly in love with my mother. My father worked a lot. And so I feel like most of my memories growing up were my mother. Um, but yeah, I love my parents. They, I felt very lucky in the parent department. They were just funny. And I, I always felt loved as a child. I never, I never had a care in the world. Like we had a lovely home. I felt very taken care of. And I do. And now as a grown up looking back, I feel very grateful because I do. Mm-hmm. I, I never felt like, I don't know, like I always felt safe and loved as a right. child. So as a grown up, I definitely realized the value of that. <laughs> and you said that you realized that you were gay when you were yeah. four. Um, yeah. Did you ever, how did you feel about that? Like, did you, you know, did you feel different than other people or isolated or did you, you know negativity around that? I always felt different. Like I'm someone who I've never really, I always have been very connected to myself and I feel, I always felt like I was on my own little planet. Like I felt like a really goofy person. Mm-hmm. Occasionally in my 45 years, I'll meet someone and be like, they're kind of like me. <laughs> but in general, I don't, I mean, yeah. Like, I mean, being gay in 1980, 81, 82, 83, 
Like when I was growing up, the only images of gay people, I would see a TV show called Phil Donahue and he would have on somebody who was, um, you know, going to kill themselves. Like gay people to me were suicidal or in the early 90s, they were getting AIDS. So right. it wasn't that it was pretty scary. And I remember thinking, uh, yeah, like I probably had the thoughts of like, I don't want to be gay or maybe I'm not gay. And actually last year I came out as pansexual because I never knew what that was. But I'm like, I've always liked women. Like once I heard what the Kinsey scale was, I was like, oh, I'm definitely in the middle. Like I mm -hmm. never felt totally gay. Um, but I remember coming out as gay because in 1995 we made fun of bisexual people. Like it was not, if right. you were, it was even on Will and Grace, like there's no such thing. You, there's no way you take penis and you could possibly be interested in vagina like it was just we did we were pretty gay people gay men were very shaming towards bisexual mm -hmm. people and then I married a man so I identified as a gay man but now I've been single for five years and I don't date I'm very single I don't I don't pursue either gender but I honestly if you said you're going to be with a woman in 10 years I wouldn't be shocked like I I'm not like it's not off the table like I don't right. Uh, so that's why when I heard about pansexuality, I'm like, that is it. Like, it's not male. It's not female. It could be trans. Like, I'm all into that. So when I started seeing people be pansexual, I was like, oh, I think that's what I am. So again, it's I'm not that into labels and identities, but I feel like that helps me make sense of me and my brain. Because when I do say gay men, that doesn't feel like me. Like, I'm like, mm -hmm. when I see gay men, I'm like, I, there's something a little different about me. And I guess that's part of it. Like, no, I'm not a gay man. I am, I am pansexual, you know? Right. <laughs> and right. again, to come to that realization at 44 years old is hilarious, but I never <laughs> gave myself the time or space to process thinking about something like that, mm -hmm. you know, cause I was married to a man. So why would my sexuality matter? I've made a life choice, you know? Right. <laughs> um, yeah. And you were married for a long time, right? 13 years to a wonderful man. His name is Michael. We had a very nice life together. And uh, yeah, I feel very lucky in the love department. I feel that's another thing, like the blessing of good parents and loving parents. You know, I've been done right by love. Like I had a boyfriend in college for four years who couldn't have been a better person and a more lovely first boyfriend. And then I had a lovely husband from age two, uh, from age like 26 to 39. So I feel very lucky in the love department. And I've had, I've had great love in my life. <laughs> um, can I ask what, how come you guys split up? Um, it, you know what? I feel like, could I do short answer, long answer? I feel like the short answer is, I just think we were very different from day one. And I think in general psych, they teach you opposites attract, but ultimately birds of a feather flock together. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times we meet somebody and they're very different than us. And then 10 years later, we're like, no, I want someone more like me. Yeah. So for, for whatever reason, at 26, I chose him. I loved him. I adored him. And then as the years went on, and right, and part of it was, I mean, I have to, I'm going to say what my career did weird things to my head. And I, I was a heavy drinker and I probably never said this to him because I would never want to be like, oh, I left you because I was a drunk, but I was a drunk. By the end, I don't even know if my brain was functioning enough to make uh, a, the right decisions or the wrong decisions. Mm -hmm. But I think my my alcohol uh, abuse definitely contributed. So yeah, 
that that's the, the end of my marriage was my my career was not going well and rather than fix it or make it better i kind of exploded my life and so you know and that's the truth and i mean if he ever hears this i love you i'm sorry you're a wonderful person and husband i didn't have the wherewithal though to to solve at the time so i just exploded and that's why my youtube career too it fell apart because i didn't want i just wanted to explode you know i wanted to to explode it a little when you say exploded do you mean you sabotaged a little, of course. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I didn't realize at the time how much my alcohol was impacting all of it. So again, I wasn't even thinking clearly. I wasn't making decisions from a clear brain. I was just like, my marriage sucks. My career sucks. Uh, I'm out of here. So I really, you alcohol checked me out of reality. Alcohol it. checked me out of life. And now five years later, I'm more aware of that. But at the time, if I did an interview, I would have been like, yeah, I, I would have, I, I don't know what I would have told you, but it probably wouldn't have been this clear of a version of it, you mm-hmm. know? <laughs> so did you just leave your like did you kind of just explode your marriage were you just like did you did you storm out of youtube and your marriage i mean i i left youtube slower but i did i did leave my marriage abruptly yes Mm. yeah 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 so how do you feel about that peaceful very peaceful like, like I think about the past and the only thing I can change about the past is the way I think about the past. So when I think about my marriage, all I think is he was a wonderful man and he adored me and we had a really nice life for 13 years. So that's mm-hmm. all I ever think about it. So I don't really go back. That's why when you were asking me a hypothetical about right. YouTube, I'm like, I don't, my brain doesn't go backwards very often. So I would, I would like to think if I was ever married to a man for 13 years again, that I would handle the end of it a little better, <laughs> but at the time, you know, we, we all do our best and sometimes mm-hmm. our best is terrible. My best was terrible. And that yeah. was in that moment in 2014, that was the best I could do. <laughs> so had the drinking, when did you start drinking? So I wasn't, it's interesting because I, I probably started heavily drinking 2012, like, right? Like, so I never even drank, I wasn't a teenage drinker. I wasn't a twenties drinker. I didn't start drinking until like 2011. We bought a second house on Cape. This was the other thing. So YouTube had kept me so isolated. I really had no friends. I had no life. 2008, mm-hmm. 9, 10, I never left the house. I made videos. I talked to strangers in the comment section. I had a husband. And then in 2011, we bought a second home on Cape Cod and we started making friends. And that was the other reason I started tapping out because it was like, I just want to have friends and a life. And then, oh, I have to go make a YouTube video. Mm-hmm. So really around then in 2011, 12, 13, we had friends, we went to bars. It was just fun. And so I really, I ignored the fact that my career was on the decline because I was so enjoying normal, real life. So again, along the way, I kind of developed a drinking problem because I just... <laughs> I, you know, and I don't identify as an alcoholic. That's not my word. I just, I don't, you know, cause I did, I did stop drinking one day and I haven't drank in four years. I'm not sober. I'm not an AA. Uh-huh. I just realized that alcohol had nothing left to offer me. So, you know, and I really, I didn't drink that much. I drank like 2012, 13, 14, 15. So really six years of my entire 40 year life. So it wasn't like it was that right. big of a thing, you know? So now as a non-drinker, it's like, right, you lived your first 35 years without drinking. So it's not that big a deal, yeah. you know? Do, yeah. do you have an addic- addictive personality? 
I don't know. Like, I mean, I read a book about that and they said, that's just a thing you tell yourself to give you an excuse to be addicted to things. So I do, you know, right. You tell yourself that. No, I think I have a very, my, my, my personality is so constrained and focused now. Mm -hmm. I'm a minimalist. I don't eat fast food. I have very, I, so I think you, you got rid of a lot of your items. I I have nothing. I've got clothes. I've got a computer. I have no possessions. These are the only books I have. I have like 10 books. I have nothing. So like, that's another huge part of my life is minimalism. And again, we could do a whole podcast about that, but I went from two homes, two basements, two attics, 40 years of stuff to a tiny Honda Civic full of everything and everything. I have nothing, Allison. I don't have, you could say move and I would move in an hour. I have nothing. (laughs) It's so amazing. I want to feel what that is like. Uh, I'm, uh, I just, I am, I, my clutter owns me and it's everywhere. I must know what are the books that you kept? Um, well, my favorite book is Jack Canfield, The Success Principles. I love The Seven Highly, hi, seven highly Habits of Successful People. I love Love Wins by Rob Bell. I have my Jesus Calling, which is a devotional journal. I have Great Mondays, which is about a good way to have good corporate America. And I did keep all of my The Secret, The Power, mm. all of those types of manifesting books. But I tend to get rid of books, too. So, like, I'll read one, and then I'll get rid of it. And if I really like it, I'll put it on my iPad. But yeah. these are just the few books that I occasionally like to hold in my possession. Yeah. And is that a whiteboard behind you? This is a whiteboard because when I'm coaching, I tend to write things on it. Got yeah. it. Now, and if people are wondering what we're referring to, youtube.com slash Allison Rosen is where you can see that you can see the blank whiteboard. But I know that you're a fan of giant post-it notes, right? Oh, my God. Excuse me. So <laughs> I have these big post-its. And I love, I love post-its. Like I, these are big. So again, compared to like this, which is a normal post-it, this is my post-it. And I use them for affirmations. Like my whole wall is, these are my best thoughts. These are my best emotions. These are my six priorities this year. I have my personal mission statement. Oh, what is it? Oh my God. It's so good. Okay. Everybody. So again, this will take 30 seconds, but it's so, so I wrote this last year. Okay. And I encourage you, if you're listening to write your personal mission statement, because companies do companies have a mission statement. They have yeah. a manifesto. It's like, this is who we are. This is what we do. So as you're listening to me, think about how you could apply this to yourself. This is who I am. And this is who I wish to be in the world. Cause it makes my day so much easier. Cause if I'm living out of line with that, it's like, that's not who I wish to be. Right. It's written right there on the wall. So this is my mission statement. <laughs> I am the greatest love of my life. God is my partner in creating my life on purpose. I live an intentional life of minimalism and contribution. I love others unconditionally regardless of them. I value deep connections and open minds and hearts. I create time for everything I want to do. My life is full of meaningful work and ridiculously fun play. I use my emotions as superpowers. I defend the dignity of others and fight for equality. I am actively anti-racist. I am always learning, growing, and evolving into new versions of myself. My purpose is to be an example of joy and possibility. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. I love that. Yeah, I feel inspired talking to you. Occasionally, <laughs> I will write notes in my phone 
to that that I I tell myself I'm going to come I'm going to read this when I'm feeling low or I'm going to read this when I'm feeling nervous. It's oftentimes like because I still am so so much in the content world. If I read, you know, negative comments, even though I don't want those voices to be in my head, they will be in my head. And then I have the temptation to like diminish myself or not say something that I want to say. And and so most of it's to sort of push that away and just be the most myself I can be. But I'm going to write a longer one. I'm going to get me some of those post-its and And I'm going to put them on my wall. You need a default thought for every occasion. So every time I go into the YouTube comment section, all I'm thinking is, other people are allowed to not like me. I'm allowed to not take it personally. That's all, again, because otherwise my self-esteem is too hit or miss. If you like right. me, I feel good. If you don't, I don't feel good. Other, I like me enough for the both of us. <laughs> I like, love, and approve of me enough. So if you do, I always think if you like and love and appreciate me, that's extra. That's bonus. Right. I love, like, and approve of me enough for the both of us. So again, that's why yeah. deliberate mindset is so important. Otherwise, oh, I guess I'll see how the comments are and then I'll decide how I feel right. versus I already know how I feel because I coached myself before I even looked. <laughs> you responded to a tweet of mine and it helped me so much. And I'm not I can remember the specific wording, but I posted something and someone like just completely, I posted something and most people understood what I was saying, but a few people didn't, but it really bothered me when someone doesn't understand me. It, it bothers me. And I, and so, but I don't want the rest of my day to be spent trying to explain something to someone, especially when their misunderstanding is most likely in bad faith. Yeah. Or it could be in bad faith. And you were just like, you ha- you're, I think you said that you have the default that people are going to understand you, m- going to misunderstand you. And I might it, have said, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's like our, it's like, it's such a primal need. I would never tell somebody, don't worry about being understood. You want to be understood. But again, if I'm, fe- especially in a comment section on Facebook or Twitter, yeah. if I'm feeling misunderstood, I'm coming in defensive. Mm-hmm. So again, if I'm coming in with the wrong emotion, I'm going to convince you how you're wrong about me. It's not going to work. Right. So again, my, my strategy is just always let people be wrong about you. Yes. You know, that's so again, what you said. You, oh yeah. Yeah. It was so liberating. It is so liberating. Yeah. Because otherwise you spend all day like trying to correct it, and it's it's not the right medium for that anyway. We all know that. Yes. All I can't imagine all the text messages and weird exchanges I used to have with people where I'd go into the Facebook. Oh, I think you misunderstood me. Oh, I'm going to explain my, oh, and right, even now if something went on the podcast and it didn't go, I might, oh, Allison, I just, I, in case I, you know, I might've said this and just so you, in case you thought I meant this, I didn't mean, shut up. What? Again, our brain is such a runaway brain that it's like, again, you're just processing the words out of my mouth, however you're processing them. Right. And I, again, I'm not going to try and manipulate you so you interpret them differently. Everything I'm saying is fair game. So you've got pe- thousands of people listening to this. Some of them think this guy's an idiot. Some of them, these guys think he's fun. I'm not going to go in the comment section of your podcast and try and convince the people who think I'm an idiot. But look, I'm fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you hear my mission statement? I'm fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, something I wanted to ask you. So on Grace Helbig's podcast, you said that you did a strength assessment quiz yeah. and your number one strength was humor. Your number humor. three strength was perspective. And I was I was sitting there going like, what's number two? <laughs> so what was number two? <laughs> Gratitude. Oh. 
There so you go. humor, gratitude, perspective, zest. I love a strengths assessment. And again, in my line of work, uh, humor and perspective is amazing. So again, I always think when you know when you've got coaching tools, you're using your thoughts and your emotions as superpowers to navigate the world. When you know what your strengths are, it's like just knowing in your back pocket. So again, I can solve so many things in my life by using my humor. Mm-hmm. my perspective, my gratitude. So I do encourage people, again, those types of tests, they can be silly, but if you find a way to use them effectively like I have, they can be very powerful. Yeah. So you came to the conclusion that that drinking was doing you no favors and you just stopped. <laughs> um, I read a book. I have to give credit yeah. to a book. So I read a book. It was the Alan Carr Easy Way Stop oh, Drinking Now. Nikki Glazer talks about that all the time. So I had a client, this was when I had just started coaching maybe in like 2017 or something. And he said, me and my wife read this book and we both stopped drinking. And he said, we have no desire to drink. And I was like, what's the name of the book? I read the book and the next day I stopped drinking in June of 2017. And I had already done the thought work. So Mm -hmm. I was ready. I had coached myself. My mindset was my life will be better without it versus in 2016, I stopped drinking. But my thought was, this is going to suck. And I... All my friends drink. My entire social life is is drinking and this is going to suck. So I stopped drinking for like a month and then I was like, I'm fine. So I became a social drinker and I would drink two or four drinks. And yeah. And then at that point in 2017, I was like, "Uh, alcohol offers me nothing. And if I'm doing such great work on my life, I want to live a life that I don't have to escape. So Mm. why would someone like me need drugs or alcohol or gossip or fast food or indulging in an external thing? Oh, guess what? I don't. And so I'm so, again, I want, and again, I could drink right now. I could, I mean, it's New Year's. I might've had a sip of champagne. You know, I, I just, I, I don't want to be a type. I don't want to be a one drink drinker. And I don't want to be, I just, I, I, I think that's what I thought. I felt like I got out of a cult. I was like, we are, I'm brainwashed looking at Facebook. Oh, mommy had a stressful week. Give me the wine. Yeah. Like we're sold alcohol as a strategy. Skinny is se- skinny girl margaritas. Like drinking mm-hmm. is sexy. Drink, drinking is dumb. Like no offense, <laughs> but it, I mean, drinking I, I don't is, drink either. So it's pretty, I mean, yeah. no offense to people who are saying it's, it's, it's just, it's a little bit, you've been sold something and you bought it. And, you know, and the, the funny thing is when people say they can take it or leave it, I'm always curious. Then why do you take it? <laughs> so if you're right. So if you're right. listening to this and you're someone who tells yourself you can take it or leave it, I am curious. Why do you take it? And here's the other interesting question I love to ask people. So when people, I love that they ask someone, Hey, why don't you drink? Like they ask you that you must be pregnant or you must be an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Why don't you drink? I think it's way more interesting to ask someone, why do you drink? Yeah. No, really do. What's your reason for drinking? And if you've got a great reason and you like your reason, then by all means you keep drinking. But I could, I can tell you right now, 15 to 20 reasons why I don't drink. I could not make up one reason why I would. Oh, to fit in. Oh, to have something to hold at the bar. Oh, mm-hmm. to be more relaxed. I'm, you know, I, I, there's no reason that I would ever drink. Right. And I love that. It's such a relief. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, let's, you said that you have a just me or everyone. I would like to hear it, but we have a little song that we play and here it is. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? All right. You, what is yours? 
is it just me or does everybody wake their dog up from a deep sleep in the middle of the night and kiss him and say, thank God you're alive. I love you so much. I, I literally wake my dog up and be like, do you know how much I love you? Like he'll be sleeping and I'll just wake up and I'll be like, you need to know how much I love you. I love, I, 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 does everybody do that? Is it just me? <laughs> I think a lot of people do that. Yeah. Uh, I feel like my husband and I are woken up by Wendy. That's our dog more than she's woken up by us. <laughs> but there are a lot of like snuggles and, and kissies in the middle of the night and stuff because she's just so sweet and cute. Oh, Who I is know. He? It's Who... like, I... Go ahead. He's my dog. His name is Colin. He is, you know, and he is uh, 15 years old. He's the great love of my life. He is named after Colin, Kelly Taylor's coke dealing boyfriend from Beverly Hills 90210. Oh, yeah. Be- Fun fact, because when, back before Netflix and Hulu and whatever, 90210 reruns used to air every weekend for three hours on FX. And my poor ex-husband used to look at me Saturday and Sunday morning and say, are you going to sit here for three hours and watch Beverly Hills? So I should have just told you that. Yeah, that's the reason we're not married anymore, because he, he, didn't, he didn't want me to watch 90210 for three six hours on the weekend. But so for whatever reason, in 2005... I was watching the reruns quite heavily, even though I had watched the original run back in 1991 to 2000. But, um, but so I looked at him when we got the dog and I said, I'd like to name him Brandon or Dylan. And he said, there is no way I am naming a dog after a character from Beverly Hills 90210. So after I pulled myself together about 12 hours later, I just said, casually, what about Colin? And he said, I love that name. And then maybe six years later, I said, I just want you to know you named your dog after a Beverly Hills 90210 <laughs> character. I, I, I tricked you. How'd that go over? He loved the dog's name so much at that point <laughs> that he didn't care. But it was it was a funny story that, again, mischievous me was like, I'll trick my spouse into ma- naming the dog after a TV character. He won't even know what hit him. <laughs> Scenes from a marriage. (laughs) Uh, And I need to know your weighted blanket journey. Oh, my God, Allison. This is so this is it's so funny because I'm so good at wanting correctly. When I work with people and we goal set, I think about a lot of times our brain miswants things. I want a four bedroom house. I want a Mercedes. I want to get married. I want two children. Why do you want these things? I don't. And then I get them. And then I'm like, see, you wanted the wrong things. Mm-hmm. Our brain tends to miss want. I have wired my brain as a minimalist to really be good at wanting. But this weighted blanket was probably my first miss want in a, in a year or so. Interesting. I was on the Twitter and Andy Lassner, Ellen's executive producer, tweeted something about um, a weighted blanket had changed his life. And the first reply I saw was S.E. Cup saying something about a weighted blanket. So then I replied. So I quickly just got caught up in this. Well, I really love Andy and I really love S.E. And I'm going to go on Amazon and spend $150 on a king size weighted blanket. Now, mind you, I should have just gotten like a $20, $30 throw mm-hmm. and see if maybe I would like a weighted blanket. No, I bought a king size one. You went all it in. Came, I went all in. 
put it on the bed, had it on for about 20 minutes, put it back in the box and got rid of it. I, I like freedom. There's no planet where I would ever want a weighted blanket. Like I don't have anxiety. All the reasons you would get a weighted blanket uh-huh. are not for me. So I had it on. I could see why someone might like one on the couch for a couple hours, but for eight hours of sleep, when I want to move my legs and feel mm-hmm. freedom, I don't wish to be under a weighted blanket. Right. I get the appeal. It's not for me. It was a miswant thanks to Twitter. <laughs> weighted blanket. Yeah. So if you're listening and you want a weighted blanket, yeah. get a weighted blanket, but make sure it's not because you're having a cute interaction with Andy and Essie <laughs> on the Twitter.com. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was so nice talking to you, Michael Buckley. I could not have had more fun. You are a charming and delightful host, and I can see why anybody who comes on your podcast feels like your new best friend, oh. as I do. So thank you so much for allowing me to talk about all this stuff. I had, I had a wonderful time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Tell everyone uh, where they can find you, plug whatever you'd like to plug, etc. I mean, the best way to interact with me or find me, I do think, is on Instagram story. So please feel free to follow me. Hey, Michael Buckley. And I am on Twitter. Hey, Buck. Hey, I'm, I, I'm a little rowdy over there and a little opinionated over there. But yeah, so keep in touch. Say hi. And I'd love to hear from you. I do have a website, heymichaelbuckley.com. And so, yeah, keep in touch. And thanks for letting me into your hearts today. And if people are interested in working with you in the life coaching way, like are you taking new clients? I generally am not taking new clients, but I do make exceptions or I mean, maybe once a month or a couple times a quarter, I will take someone. So feel free to go to my website, heymichaelbuckley.com. There is a form. And again, if I spoke to you today and you are interested in working with me, by all means, fill out the form and I'll get back to you. And if I can't work with you, I'll at least send you some email coaching tools or something to kind of set you in the right direction. (laughs) And maybe a weighted blanket. (laughs) And maybe a weighted blanket. Can you imagine? That would be like, right, if I ever became a comedian again, I would just be a life coach comedian where I did that. <laughs> Come to my website. I'm going to send you a weighted blanket. Okay. $99.99. Right. Call now. <laughs> um, if you like what you're hearing, please make sure you're subscribed and uh, leave. A- Wait, didn't is it right that you invented or you were the first person to say like comment, like, review? I was absolutely, there's nobody who ever, because I know because it, it's on my Wikipedia page that the day I did it, I had the four top videos on YouTube because I remember thinking, oh, what gets you on the, so people who are young won't know what we're talking about, but back in the day, the YouTube was set up to have top rated, most discussed, most viewed. So nobody was doing calls to action. They were just dumping videos on the YouTube and the things were happening as they were happening, but right. nobody was asking for comments. Nobody was asking for likes. And the first day I said, Rate it even if you hate it. It was five stars. Leave me. And suddenly my video was gazonkers way more than anybody else's. And I'm like, oh my God. So four of my videos were the ranked highest rated of the day. And then the next thing you know, everybody was doing a call to action. Like, comment, and subscribe. So yes, back in 2007, I uttered the words, like, comment, and subscribe. And then I realized, oh, now everybody, and then I noticed, oh, Smosh is doing it. Fine Brothers is, everybody's doing calls to action. So yes, I mean, I like to take credit for it. And I I do believe the evidence shows I was the first to at least do it effectively. Right. (laughs) Well, I want my content to go 
Roka Zonkers. So like, yes. comment, subscribe. Comments on Apple Podcasts help everyone. Comments wherever you listen. But comments help people find the show. Make sure you click five stars. Tell your friends, etc. Listen to my other podcast, Childish, that I do with Greg Fitzsimmons. I'm on Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Rosen. Bonus episodes every week. We do Zoom parties, all sorts of fun stuff. I have a book out. Uh, I'm also on Cameo. These are all my plugs. I hope you've enjoyed them. Thank you again so much. So nice talking to you. Listeners, thank you for listening. You matter. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show? We had a good time, but now we gotta go. Yeah, Allison.